Welcome into Honorado and Bagnardi. Uh, only half the party here to start things. Sean will be with us, though, uh, mid-show. Chris Honorado, Sean Bagnardi coming on here in a second. But we got we got somebody who can pull bags' his weight and then some. And it's our guest today, Ian Anderson. And before we bring him in, I want to take a little trip down memory lane with Ian here. And we'll roll back some of some of what we've done with Ian in the past. Here it is, News Channel 13. I mean, my goodness, look at that set. It feels like 1980. But that was not all that long ago after Shen had won a state championship. This is draft night. Ian with his family going third overall to the Atlanta Braves. And then I'll take you behind the scenes on this one. This is after Ian's first major league start, after he beat the Yankees. And I, I creepily snapped that shot after pausing my TV because the flow was so good I had to save it because I worried at some point he's going to get a haircut. It's It may not look that good ever again. And like Swanson has incredible hair on the Braves. Uh, even Freed, who doesn't let it grow all that long, still really good hair. But I, I think Ian might have top billing when it comes to best hair on the Atlanta Braves here. Uh, after only, what, 10 career starts, pretty incredible stuff. Man, it is it is good to catch up with the 22-year-old now entrenched in that Atlanta Braves rotation. Ian, it's good to see you, man. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Yeah, that hair was uh, definitely a little out of control. But, um, you know, it started off in a good spot, and by the end it was kind of a little wild. But Well, yeah, look, when you go, you know, six innings against the Yanks and uh, and you nearly no-hit them, uh, the hair might get a little wild. I can understand that. But you got it trimmed up, man. You And in the playoffs, you kind of went playoff beard, playoff hair. Yeah. I did. I did. I'm a big hockey fan. So that didn't really have much to do with it, but I was kind of going with that. Yeah, cool. All right. Let's let me take you back here. And I know you've done this a thousand times with people, but if you would just kind of indulge us here, your first career start. And we talked with you over Zoom, but never in this format to really kind of dive deep into it. You get called up. It's the Yankees. You're at home. There are no fans. You nearly no hit them for six innings. Can you just take me back to that day? Now that you've had a little bit of time to to maybe step away, and 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 what do you see when you look back at that start? Yeah, it was exciting. Um, definitely exciting. You know, I was ready to go that that first day, um, and and the rain had other ideas, but I think that kind of helped me out just to to settle the nerves a little bit, and um, you know, know that we were only going to have a seven inning game. So you know, if I went five or six, that's you know, that's pretty, pretty good. So, um, that, that definitely helped. And, um, yeah, what a day, um, you know, to be able to get, get the career going on that foot and, um, you know, Max to follow suit and, uh, and also take both games from the Yankees was a pretty, pretty important point for us in the season. All right. Be honest with me now, if you had ended up throwing seven, no hit innings, would you go around telling people you threw a no hitter? <laughs> yeah, I think you have to, right? I know that the ruling was technically no, I think, but um, yeah, I think for those circumstances, I think you would have to. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I'm I'm confused as to what Major League Baseball ended up deciding. Um, and then you see at the bottom of your screen at Ian underscore Anderson 15. You find them both on Twitter and Instagram with that name. Get those follows. Um, I, I forget what Major League Baseball said because there was a ruling that like, it would be a no-hitter, but it wouldn't be a perfect game in certain scenarios. I forget what, what their ruling was, but we may not be done with the seven-inning doubleheader, so they're going to have to decide really one way or the other. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. Um, 
yeah, from what I've heard that, that they might be here to stay, but um, for this year, it was definitely, uh, definitely a necessity. And I think it played out. Um, I think it played out just fine. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. We've had baseball people on the show, Kevin Connors, Kevin Kernan, who both were kind of like, yeah, let's, you know, you know, the old baseball fans, ah, the games take too long. The seven innings, it was kind of interesting. Like by the fifth, you started to feel like, man, we only got two more ups here. Like if we're down, let's get this thing going a little bit. Uh, here's the regular season numbers, man. I don't know if you ever look at these. I'm sure people run them by you. But when you look at this stat line, if you will, over six starts, what jumps out first? Um, yeah, I think I think it all kind of, you know, it's hard to, to not see numbers nowadays. They're everywhere. So I've seen these, seen these plenty of times. But um, I, I think it was just being able to kind of come into the fold at, at that time and provide a little bit of stability, which you don't see in the numbers. Um, that, that was kind of what meant the most to me, um, you know, about the whole situation. So, um, yeah, the numbers are great and all, but I, I think that kind of takes the cake. I love that. And maybe for people who aren't diehard Braves fans, you know I happen to be one. Uh, you get Felix Hernandez opting out. You get Cole Hamels, who never really is able to contribute the way the organization had hoped. You get, of course, the Mike Soroka injury. And all of a sudden, the Braves are looking at this rotation thinking, how do we, with duct tape, just try to piece this thing together? Josh Tomlin was good at times, but you said it, man. You stepped in, and it was like, whoa, all of a sudden we got a one-two that's going to be good enough to take us deep into the postseason, uh, and that's exactly what it did. Now, I didn't throw your walks numbers up here. Yeah. Ian, I, I'll be honest with you, man. I don't know them off the top of my head here. Um, it was the Marlins game that, and maybe the, the Mets game that, that jumps out to me is maybe a little bit of struggle with control, but how do you feel like you kind of dealt with that as the season went on? Yeah, I feel like it was uh... – I feel like I did a, did a good enough job with it um, as far as, you know, I wasn't giving up a ton of hits. So, so the walks weren't coming back to bite me too bad. And, um, you know, I think that's important, but kind of going back to, to coming in and, you know, providing some stability. I think that was kind of part of the, just how amazing our run was there was, you know, everyone that got a chance, whether it be Bryce Wilson and, and um, game four there or, or Kyle, Wright, um, You know, they, they, everyone did, about as well as they could have done. So um, that was just, like I said, it was fun to be a part of and fun to, to pull for everyone when, you know, they were going to get that chance. Yeah, man, I felt Wright gave you guys so much there, especially even down the stretch of the regular season. Yeah, And then Wilson out of nowhere, who like at 20 years old, a couple of years ago, yeah. man, he had a great debut. And then it's kind of like Snicker throws him in there and people, I'm like, what is this? And he was phenomenal, man. Yeah, he was great. Yeah, that was uh you know, that was a huge game for us, definitely. Obviously, it didn't, the rest of the series didn't play out. But to, to come back from, you know, that tough first inning, and we played him tough the rest of that game. But, um, yeah, to come out and for him to kind of make that statement was was definitely awesome. Yeah. All right, here are the – you know, let me, let me take you back here, though, because I'm looking at the 41 strikeouts, and it's right on par as to what you had kind of done at the minor league level, 11, 12 Ks per nine – uh, did you expect that number to be comparable to what you did in the minors, knowing now you're facing big league hitters? Does that number surprise you at all now that you look back? Oh, yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, these guys are the best of the best, you know, around in the world. So um, it, it, there's definitely some differences in, in the way they kind of take the approach to each at bat. And, um, you know, especially the Dodgers towards the end, those guys had such good approaches and, and knew what they were trying to do every, every at bat. And they, they weren't really going to come off of, you know, what they were trying to do. So in that sense, 
you know, there could be some more strikeouts out there, but, um, you know, it all really comes down to executing. And, um, you know, I think we did a pretty good job of that. All right. Here are the playoff numbers now. Uh, four starts. You didn't lose one. Do you care? Do, do you look at a, a pitcher's record? Because I want to hear it from the horse's mouth here. Everybody else I talk to around the game says it's not a pitcher stat. Wins and losses don't matter anymore. Yeah, I mean, I, I I like it just in the fact that, you know, you have to go at least five innings to get a win, um, which, you know, we see especially down the line in the playoffs. Um, you know, it's quicker and quicker for, for guys to come out. And, um, you know, I think it kind of – you can't get a win without going five. And if you're going five, usually you're doing a pretty good job for the team. So, um, yeah, I like it in that aspect. I, I get where people come from as well. Okay, I mean, an ERA that's under one, which is insane. You didn't give up a single run in any of your first three starts uh, in the playoffs. And again, the strikeout number way over one per nine. Um, Your first playoff start, again, no fans. uh, And at home, did you feel any differently taking the mound that game against Cincinnati as you did either the last regular season game or maybe even your debut? Um. Yeah, it kind of felt like the debut a little bit. Um, you know, you don't really understand the consequences until after because you're in it, you know. So there's not a ton of nerves. Um, you know, it's more of like a nervous energy of like getting ready to go out there. Um, and it probably would have been a lot different had, had you know, Freddie not had to walk off and, um, you know, Max pitched as well as he did in, in that first game against Cincinnati. But, um, you know, because at that point I was just trying to follow up what he did and, um, you know, that was, that was fun. And you were terrific in that start, uh, against Cincinnati. Um, again, 24 strikeouts, uh, only, I think what I have six hits here allowed something like that. Uh, incredible stuff, man. In your first three starts. And that of course includes the, uh, the game against Cincinnati. All right. So now that you've had a little bit of time to process your first season, uh, I would, I would think you feel pretty good about your chances making the club out of, out of spring. Um, so what are you working on this winter knowing you've got a rotation spot locked up already? Yeah, I think, uh, I think it's just more of the same, honestly. Um, uh, I think it'll be nice to kind of come in and, you know, be able to, to be on a good schedule, but as far as, you know, working on the, the, the pitches and, um, you know, building strength to, to be able to stay out there as long as I can, I, I think that's, you know, it's going to be similar to, to years past. Um, you know, I felt like. The, over the past few years, I've kind of gotten stronger as year went on. And that's what I hope to continue is, is you know, don't come out of the gate too hot, but peak, you know, right around the middle of the season towards the end of the season. So, um, and that's what I feel like I've, I've been doing the last few years. So i uh, probably going to try to keep up, you know, similar stuff that, that I've been doing in the off season. You've gotten bigger, right? I mean, every, every time you take the mound and the, the TV broadcast throws up, who you are, where you're from. We still got to get Shenandoah worked out with a lot of people. Uh, you know, it's like 6'3", and I think they say 170 or 175. That's, that's I'm definitely bigger than that now. Yeah, right around the 200 mark now. So, um, And where do you feel like you need to be? Are you where you need to be in order to, I guess, be durable, be strong, and still not too bulky? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy with where I am right now for sure. Um, you know, it's definitely a it's, – it's a – sliding scale kind of so, so you gotta kind of stay you know right where where you want to be and uh, it's definitely tough um, but but that, I feel like I'm in a good spot so uh, it's more just maintaining and, and kind of keeping it there 
Okay, cool. All right, when we come back here on Honorado and Bagnardi, I, I got a major bone to pick with one of Ian's teammates, uh, who I do hope will be back, even though uh, he's a free agent this year out of the bullpen. I got a major issue with one of Ian's teammates. I'm going to I'm gonna let you know about that, Ian, when we come back here. Uh, and also want to get your thoughts on what it was like actually pitching in front of fans and whether or not that had a real feel to it. Like, did you notice the 11,000 in the crowd? We're back right after this on Honorado and Bagnardi. So, what does Capcom have that your bank doesn't? You'll love our lower fees and great rates and a team of financial experts who put you first. What's not to love? We even make it easy to switch. Visit us and open your account today. And find out what it's like to bank where you matter most. Chris Honorado back with you here on Honorado and Bagnardi. Sean coming up here uh, in a little bit when we do some more NFL stuff. Uh, we'll react to his Jets from last night, uh, who almost really jetsed it and, and came close to blowing the number one pick by actually maybe beating the Patriots last night. But a quick reminder here, everybody, we are on Amazon Podcasts. If you've got Alexa at home, just say, Alexa, play the podcast Honorado and Bagnardi. You get the full library. We'll have this episode up with Ian Anderson as soon as we're done with the show. Again, Alexa, play the podcast Honorado and Bagnardi, and she will do just that for you. All right, let's bring Ian back in here. Uh, Ian, here, here's my issue, man. Hang on. Can you hear that? Amazon. Alexa, stop. I woke her up. All right, let's do this. I got, I got an issue to pick with Darren O'Day, okay? <laughs> the ultimate disrespect here, man. What is this? Now, MLB Network put this together. Uh, Darren O'Day gave you the nickname Screech. I don't see it, and I don't like it. Yeah, I think uh, I think he was kind of going through some old Instagram pictures and, and <laughs> saw one that, that he liked, and uh, that kind of popped in his head. We were just on the bus one day, and um, he kind of called up to the front, and I kind of turned around, and it just kind of caught on from there. <laughs> uh, you know, like, I mean, you know, when you're the, you're the kid in the front, you always want to know what's going on in the back so uh, of the bus. So I just kind of peeked my head back and it just kind of caught on. So, um, yeah, I, I, you know how the media is. They just they take things. Oh, and it, so there's no question, man. And, and, and you lump me right in there. Go right ahead. Uh, Darno gets AC Slater billing and Swanson gets Zach Morris. What, what do you think about that? Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, a lot of people are saying Darno looks more like, uh, uh, one of the characters from the boys. I don't know if you've seen that show on Amazon. Um, yeah, man. People keep telling me to watch it. Yeah, the nicknames, the nicknames are flying around the clubhouse. So um, it's kind of a badge of honor to have one. So that's why you can't complain too much. Cool. That doesn't seem to bother you. I like it. Uh, the thing we're watching now is I'll Be Gone in the Dark, which is on HBO. It's uh, it's phenomenal, man. If you haven't seen it, it's, yeah. it's intense about the Golden State Killer. All right, Bags is here. What's up, guys? Johnny, we kind of covered most of last season, but if you want to take right. a crack here at Ian, go for it, buddy, because I'm gonna I'm gonna divulge a little bit of information to Ian here that he probably doesn't know about about how I annoy his father. 
All right, well, we covered last season. I'll look ahead next season then, Anderson. What, what do you do for a second act, man? How do you possibly live up to what you where you have set the bar for yourself with that great performance we saw last season? Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, I know that we, we got a bunch of guys in the locker room that are probably asking themselves the same thing. Um, you know, we have a really good young core of of players and, and pitchers and, and position guys. So, um, you know, I think that's that's going to be hopefully the question we ask ourselves every offseason from here on out, um, you know, until we until we reach that that ultimate goal of winning the World Series. So, um, yeah, I, I think just try to go out there and, and do more of the same. And I think, uh, you know, obviously it's going to be a little bit of a different test. Hopefully it's a it's a full season and um, there's still a lot up in the air. So so we're not too sure. But, um, yeah, I know. I know. Like I said, everyone in, in the locker room, including myself, is is uh, looking to, to see what they're going to be able to do next year. Do you feel like there's a little more pressure on you going into this season? Like, I don't know. I, look, when you're the third overall pick, you probably feel a little bit of pressure every spring training to at least show that you're right, developing and growing the way the organization would want. But now, like we talked about, the fact that you know you've got a rotation spot, do you feel a little more pressure to Sean's point? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um you know, I think controlling pressure is definitely important. You know, either whether you're putting pressure on yourself or, um, you know, the media is putting pressure on you. It's definitely something you got to be cognizant of and, and aware of. So, um, you know, try not to, to buy into it too much and just go out there and, um, you know, perform to, to the best of, of your abilities and, and trust uh, all the work you put in. So, What kind of transition do you think it'll be to take the field, hopefully, with a lot of fans in the building versus what you had to deal with last year with not too many in the playoffs or or none at all when you're first getting started or whatever? Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's going to be awesome. Um, You know, getting getting a little taste of it there in in the CS was was pretty awesome. You know, you can definitely sense the extra adrenaline, the extra energy in the stadium, and. you know, it was definitely a you know the Dodger fans there and and our fans as well. They were still getting pretty loud, even though what there were eleven thousand in there and and the, and the roof was shut, so um, that helped. But yeah, it was a good taste of of what it's going to be like. But um, that, that was the one question I would I would always ask the guys is you know how much better is it with fans? How much different is it with fans? And and they all said pretty much the same thing of you know just the energy and and hearing the hearing the crowd is is uh, you know what makes it that much more special. Bags, when I found out, Ian did a Zoom call with the Atlanta media and we were on it, which was cool. <clears throat> when I found out that his mom and dad and brother were going to be in Arlington, I'm, I'm on my phone. I'm like texting his dad, hey, you know, what's it like there? And never like close to first pitch would I bother him. Yeah. Um, but I got a little bit of a window into what it was like. How cool was it for you? And I'm hoping maybe even despite being in something of a bubble, Ian, you got to spend some time with the family before or after games. What was it like finally having them at one of your games? Yeah, it was awesome to have them there. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't able to spend any time with them, but um, yeah, I know I know that they had a they had an awesome time uh, being there and enjoying all that and, and getting to take it in. And um, you know, for this to be be my first year, and um, you know, you don't it's, it's never a guarantee, you know, being back there, but. Um, you know, it, 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 I know that that they really enjoyed it, and and I really enjoyed, you know, having them in the stands, and um, it, it was awesome. How do you think uh, preparation is going to be different now for you, getting ready for what you know will be a full 162 game season, COVID uh, pending here, obviously, but 
Um, in terms of all those starts that you have, you, you mean you know you're locked into this rotation now. How do you get ready for the long haul kind of season like that? Something you've never done before. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's going to be the tough part. Just uh, you know, I haven't pitched this long into the season, and and like you said, I haven't prepared for for 162 game season. So uh, you know, that's something that I'm going to have to to figure out and kind of you know take in stride. And and uh, you know, I, I think. You know, I'm looking forward to that challenge. Um, even even other guys on the team, they they haven't pitched that this long into the year uh, before, so uh, we're all kind of in the same boat. What's the environment like with uh, you call Maxi uh, Freed and Soroka? Hopefully, he's back healthy at some point mid season. Um, you know this organization, even though the ch- the names have changed at the top, it's still built on pitching, um, and I think. A lot of fans, Ian, have been waiting for the young guys to really assert themselves. We saw Kyle Wright do it. We saw Bryce Wilson do it, as you mentioned. Like, the future must feel really bright. Do you, are you guys talking about that amongst yourselves? Yeah, that was uh, definitely one of the, the the things going around the locker room a little bit after after that last game. Um, and, and, you know, it's something that you do. You have to take a look around and, you know, honestly assess the guys you have in there. And, and um you know, ours, ours looks pretty good from, you know, moving forward. So, um, you know, we're definitely excited about, about the, the group that we have and um, obviously still the off season to go. So, so we'll see what happens, but um, yeah, it's, it's fun and exciting to, you know, see everyone and, and, you know, everyone was pulling for each other and, and really, really fighting for each other. So, um, you know, the culture in there was, was awesome. And um, we're looking forward to, you know, what's, what's here to come. So one of the things, I'm sorry if Chris touched on this a little bit, one of the things that's impressed me so much last season, I mean, you obviously have talent or you wouldn't have been drafted where you were, but the demeanor, man, you're on that mound. It's like you were born to be out there. You're just so calm, so relaxed. What is your secret for keeping the emotions in check in what we saw was one of the biggest spots you could ever pitch in? How did you do that? But, you know, it didn't, that's the other thing, too. It's like it didn't matter what start it was seemed like you had that same mentality the whole time. How do you do that? Is that part of your preparation? And what is that like? Yeah, it's definitely something that, you know, you have to work on. Um, it's not, not easy to, you know, kind of take things, take things as they come at you and, and kind of assess them quick and, and make your decision quickly. I think, uh, you know, that's, that's a very important part in, in trying to kind of decompress everything. And, um, you know, I just look at it as, you know, you're in control out there. That's, that's why you're in the middle of the field. And, and that's why you have, you start with the ball in your hand. So um, if you kind of give that other team the idea that, that they're in control now, um, you know, they're going to be running to the bat rack, no matter, no matter if you're doing really well or, or you know, they're hitting you around a little bit. So um, everyone's so good at this level that, you know, if you can give them anything to go off of, you know, you know, they're looking. So um I try to be as, as even keel as I can out there and not let things uh, affect me too much. All right, Ian, we're going to let you go after this. We've done this with a bunch of our baseball guests here uh, during the postseason, but also into the offseason. Which one of these rules do you want to see stay? Not necessarily will it stay, but which one do you want to see stay? Do you like the universal DH? Or you want to get up there and get your hacks in, man. Do you like the seven-inning doubleheader? The international runner rule, which I absolutely hate, but I'm curious from a player's perspective if you like it. And then the pitch clock, which I know you dealt with in the minor leagues, but obviously hasn't been implemented in the majors yet. 
Yeah, I'm here for the DH. <laughs> Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Uh, Marcel was one of my favorite teammates, so I hope we bring him back. So without without the DH, you know, I'm there for the DH. I think, uh, you know, I, I think I think you saw it. No one bunts anymore. No one looks to move runners over, and um, yeah, it, it just makes the game more fun. And uh, you know, even as a pitcher, you you love seeing runs scored as long as you're not giving them up. So uh, I'm for the I'm for the DH. Dude, I uh, I have a couple of buddies who were in the military. They're from the South. I met them in upstate New York. Um, and we text every Braves game. So it's every night during the summer. And I just, like, I forget. It was maybe a week or two in. Hashtag Sinozuna. I would text them every time the guy came up with a big hit. And it felt like every night. And I'm with you, man. This is my concern is that the, 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 the collective bargaining agreement may not fully adopt the DH until after this season. And... And then Marcel may not work into Atlanta's plans, but I'm with you, dude. He was such a, a big yeah, was, team. I mean, anytime we need a big hit between him and Freeman and pretty much everyone, like I said, uh, but, but those were the two guys that, uh, you know, really got it done. And then Travis, you know, behind the plate in the, that Marlin series and, um, you know, what he did offensively there was phenomenal, but all season behind the plate, he was as good as they get for us. So. I mean, I'd like to see it hit, frankly. But. <laughs> I don't think so. What is the last time you hit? Um, I hit double uh, A last year, so it hasn't been okay. all that long. Yeah. Um, I lied. I got one more here just out of curiosity. Uh, best strikeout of the season for you? Ooh, uh, that's a tough one. Yeah, um, for a lot. That's why it's tough. I mean, it might have been that one of Otto in the, in the Cincy series. That one was big, and – even in that Dodgers, that, that first game against the Dodgers, um, I give three two to Chris Taylor, bases loaded, yep. uh, two outs. So, how about your first start against the Yankees? What's the big moment from that game you'll remember? Um, yeah, it's probably gonna be Ronald hitting the four hundred eighty foot home run of the first inning. Huh. You know, I was kind of, I, mean, I think that caught my reaction too. I was, I was in disbelief. I mean, you come to expect it now, but um, you, know, you get the first three guys out, and then you go sit down and. You know, before you even open your water up, it's one nothing. So uh, that, that, that's something I'll always remember for sure. Yeah, they they seem to score a lot early in your starts, which was yeah really nice. Yeah. Uh, that Vado K, I can remember perfect. I think it was ninety six up, and he swung through it. Um, Bags, you missed the beginning of the show here, and Ian, I'm going to tease ahead to the next time we get to chat because I hope it's before pitchers and catchers. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to do something really cool, and I, I won't talk about it now, but we're going to raise money for a, a great cause. Uh, I was part of Real Men Wear Pink in the American Cancer Society. This is Sherry Vos, who you know well, yeah. made these bracelets part of my campaign and helped me out big time. Uh, but we're going to do something uh, to raise money here on the show, Bags, uh, before pitchers and catchers. And I alluded to it earlier that during Ian starts, I would pause the TV at certain points and take a picture with my phone. And Bags, I'll bring it back here. I won't do it again with Ian on with us. But Ian, I've got a I've got a camera roll of moments from your rookie season, and if you can match them up correctly with what it was, we'll make donations per every correct answer uh, when we when we have you back on the show. All right, man. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Cool. All right. Good stuff. Ian, thank you, dude. Stay healthy. Uh, enjoy the time away from the diamond a little bit with the family and, uh, and we'll catch up soon. Definitely. Thank you guys.
Awesome. Ian Anderson with us here at Atlanta Braves, now stud, 22-year-old starting pitcher and firmly entrenched in that rotation bags, as you said. Um, I, I'm going to bring this back for you, Shawnee, because you didn't get to see it. I, I want you to at least get a look at this. And if people sure. are jumping on with us late, I ran back through this. So here they are, right oh, after wow. after a state championship. Ian is hidden in there a little bit, but that's in our studio. I mean, circa 1980, right? That's before the studio was, was redone. <laughs> Yep. Here is draft night when we were there. And then I took this picture because look at the flow. Yeah, looking good, man. That's Honorado style right there. Oh, no way, man. That makes, me, that makes me jealous. Yeah, something. Um, no, you're right, man. That he is he's entrenched. The Braves were really hoping he would be the future, and he's proven himself to be the present. So hmm. huge, huge year for him obviously out of the gate couldn't ask for much more if you're the Braves couldn't ask for much more if you're Anderson but now you're going to go ask for much more because now you now you've got uh that World Series right in the crosshairs and you got to go get it and he's going to be a big part of that if this team does which is really exciting for people in the capital region yeah I've had so many coaches our guy Jeff and Jeff I got to catch up with you man I know that uh says some nice lettuce there yeah there's no doubt now I wasn't going to show this while while Ian was on but here's our guy, Brian Perry. He's an L.A. guy, loves his Dodgers. This Broke one stings a little. That stings a little, to be honest with you. I've had a lot of coaches bags say to me, you know, we are our own victim of success. Mm -hmm. right? But but that's the idea. You know, you have to continue to raise the bar every single year. Atlanta's getting closer and closer, but at some point it's going to be, okay, are we getting over that hump or not? Right. You only got to get one, like the 90s Braves, right? You just got to get the one. But you got to get the one. You got to get the one. Uh, the Jets almost got the one last night, Bags. Uh, let's take a break here on Arado and Bagnardi. When we come back, let's get Shawnee's opinion of what he saw of his New York Jets last night. Oh, so close mm. to beating the hated Patriots, but then being oh, so Jetsian as well. And I've got a bank on it coming up as well about the college football playoff. Back right after this on Honorado Bagnardi. Depressed, overworked, job sucks, underappreciated. When life sucks, <laughs> just say Dillagaff. Our clothing line puts the FU back into fun. Nothing will give you greater satisfaction. Dillagaff isn't just an attitude, it's a lifestyle. Some people ride the crazy train, we drive that mother. Check out our selection at DelaGaffUSA.com. Bags, I think you heard me say it to Ian uh, that Ash and I are watching uh, this show called um, I'll Be Gone in the Dark. And it's an HBO docuseries. And, man, it was – we've already finished it. It's six episodes. They're an hour each. It, it is unbelievable. It is so grippingly dramatic about the Golden State Killer. If you haven't watched it yet, Shawnee, do it. Yeah, look, I like – true crime docu stuff so i'm in i'm in on that 
All right, it's Patton Oswalt. His his late wife was the one who did all the research, wrote the book. It's it's absolutely phenomenal. But I only bring that up now to tell you that when the Jets were up 27-17, I said, okay, I don't know if they win this game or not, but to be completely honest with you, I'm not that interested. It wasn't a bad game, but I wasn't all that interested, so we went back to watching the HBO docuseries, I'll Be Gone in the Dark. However, when it was over and we were finished watching, we look and it's like, how did the Jets give up 13 points in six minutes? Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, how did, because it's the Jets. Now, it, look, it was it was heartbreaking to have it on because you feel like, look, obviously a lot of Jets fans are in a situation where the more losing this team does now, the better. Okay. But, man, when you're playing against the New England Patriots, you want to get that win, especially when you've got the lead at halftime the way they had and a lead late in the game the way they had. You think, yes, go, if you got to get one, go get this one on Monday Night Football against the New England Patriots. Just shove it to Belichick, give them their fifth loss in a row. And, of course, they find a way to blow it. And there was there was uh, late in the game when when New England was about to kick a field goal and the Jets had too many men on the field. Yes. Okay? And then they still held them to a field goal. I thought, okay, because typically what happens there is, of course, they go in for seven and now you're on your way to losing. I thought maybe that was like the shred of hope. Like that was a very Jetsian thing to do, have 12 guys out there but they somehow didn't give up a touchdown. So maybe we got a chance. And of course, what did they do? Lose anyway. And I agree with you. You want the number one pick, but you don't want to go 0-16. Like people don't remember the teams that only win one or two games. They remember the teams that don't win any game. So I'm with you, man. Get one. You're still in the running for the top overall pick. Just get one. And get it against the wing. I know. I know. I know. Look, all right. Let's look back to Sunday a little bit here, but we're going to look look ahead while we do that, Bags. Here's the road to the AFC East title. What a game that was between the Dolphins and the Cardinals. Our guy, Andrew Catalan, on the call for that one. Man, that was fun between Kyler and Tua. Here's the road to the AFC East division title. The Bills are 7-2. and two. Yep. They're next six. They have to deal with Kyler Murray next in the desert. Then they play the Chargers at the Niners, home to the Steelers, go to mile high, and then at Foxborough, what do you see here from the Bills? How many of those are they going to get? Well, what did I tell you about the Bills? I needed that big win, right? Check. Yeah. We got the big win. Yep. I'm starting to come around on the Buffalo Bills. Um, look, what do you want me to do? Pick each game here? I mean, I, I think they're going to they're, they're going to make the playoffs. They're going to win the division. Yeah, I think they get at least four of those right now. The game that isn't on your screen here is the last game of the season, and that's against the Dolphins. Right. So build a little drama up to week 17, potentially there. If the Bills win four, right, that gets them to 11. Maybe tough then for Miami to catch them. But here's the Dolphins' next six games, Bags. Clipper, uh, Clippers, holy mother. Chargers, very winnable. Denver, very winnable. Jets, <laughs> I don't even have to make a comment there. Cincinnati, Kansas City's the tough one here, but they can beat the Patriots too. I mean, yeah. they could they could win five of the six on your screen. They could. I think Buffalo is the better team. And I think, look, even if it comes down to that last game, I think Buffalo will win it. So I'm going to give the Bills the edge. I've, I've come around on Buffalo after what we saw this past week, and I'm ready to lock them in as the division winner. 
Ooh. Yeah. Okay. You're you are buying in. I think Miami, I think Miami's gonna give him a run. Mm-hmm. I think Miami's gonna give him a run. And I'm and I'm not saying I'm sold on Tua. He looks awfully small out there, and it looks like he has to put his entire body into every throw he makes. And I don't know if that's because all the strength isn't there from the hip yet or not, but it I don't know. I don't know visually that it adds up. Here's the road to the NFC East title. Let's go back a week, bags, when you said the Giants would win the division. Yep. Here's the Eagles schedule. Okay. They are in first place, by the way, at three, four, and one. You get Washington at two and six, Dallas at two and seven, and the Giants at two and seven. So you're right. New York is right there, especially if they can win that first game on your screen. Giants, Browns, tough one against Seattle, tough one at Green Bay. New Orleans look like they now may be the best team in that conference. And Arizona, my goodness, is a playoff squad as well. Look. It's not inconceivable that the Eagles could lose out here, lose the games on the screen, right? Yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah. Um, obviously, this coming week is huge. This is a big one. I said the Giants are going to win the division, but they're going to do it winning the next three in a row. They got the one. This would be two in a row here if they could go get the Eagles, and then they've got – I know we're going to do their schedule next year, but then they've got Cincinnati. So that three-game stretch for me – that's what I highlighted as that could be the turning point of the season for them and maybe the turning point of the Eagles, if you can have a turning point when you only have three wins, but on the downward trend to ultimately fall behind this Giants team and somehow the New York football Giants are going to be in the playoffs as a division winner. I mean, they'd get a home game. They would get a home game. Oh, Here's the schedule. You said it, Philadelphia, Cincinnati. Then it's tough. Oh. The Seahawks, Cardinals, Browns, very winnable. Ravens in, but if you get three, yeah, and you're and the, the regular again, the game that isn't up here to finish the season is Dallas. So if you get three of these six bags, which is like you said, not inconceivable, yeah. you've got five, and then that game against the Cowboys could decide the division. It could, but before that, it's about the Eagles. It's about this week. I mean, this is a that's ridiculous to think that this is a big game for a three-win team and a, and a two-win team, but. It is, right? I mean, this is huge. This is major division implications here for these teams. I said yesterday, you know, watching that Jets game, if they were only in the NFC East, this would be a big game for them too. Uh, But it's embarrassing really for football. It's embarrassing for this division. But look, the Giants are one of our local teams. We're following this with great interest, and they've got a chance here, Chris. And I think – a, a legitimate shot. I, I there's a reason I made my bank on it. Yeah, no, I know. I know. I, I you know, look, thought it was crazy at the time, but uh, the way it's playing out now, after having beaten Washington, makes yeah. it look like there's a, a legitimate shot at, at maybe that actually happening with the Giants. You just said bank on it, bags. I bank did. on it. Bank on it, presented by Capcom Federal Credit Union, 11 branches around the Capital Region, and a proud sponsor here of Honorado and Bagnardi. Every week, we give you a prediction that we we think is going to come true, but we also like to take a little bit of a swing that isn't such a layup, right? Right. Right. So here we go. Bank on it, bags. Florida will make the college football playoff. Now, they already have one loss, so how do they get there? And this is where becomes maybe too much of an ask of the Gators team. Because they already have one loss to Texas A&M, 
they would have to beat Alabama in the SEC championship game in order to make the college football playoff. I believe that will happen. Bama will not face a test up until that game. Florida's defense is good. The offense might be even better than Alabama's, if you can believe it. So give me Florida to make the SEC championship game. Here's the offensive output from Florida. 51, 38, 38 and a loss, Mm -hmm. 41 and 44. They just hung 44 on Georgia. Kirby Smart always has a good defense. Now, the Mm -hmm. Georgia offense is not special, and they turned it over, and that led to some Florida points. I get it. But Florida hung 44 on a talented Georgia defense. Give me the Gators to make the college football playoff. Okay. Now, I think Bama still makes it too, but they won't be the one seed. Okay, sell me on them beating Alabama. They're going to just outscore them. Yeah, well, you know what? It'll be it'll have to be something of a shootout, but I think Florida's defense can do enough to turn over the tide to make the difference in that game. Yeah. Look, Mac Jones has been unbelievable for Alabama and he's he's really winning over the Heisman conversation right now. Mm-hmm. Lawrence missing two games. A lot of people are putting Mac Jones ahead of Justin Fields at this point. Um, but I think up against the Gators D, give me Florida to win that game. To surprise a lot of people, but to win that game. But but it, it will still allow Bama to make the CFP. Now, you said Alabama doesn't have much leading up to that. You feel like that factors in, that they you know are maybe not ready or might somehow sleep on this team? Yeah, I think I, – and, and look, Florida doesn't have anything left on their schedule either. Um, they go Arkansas, Vanderbilt, Kentucky, and Tennessee. Okay. They'll win all four of those games. Okay, They'll be eight and one. Um, but, yeah, I don't, I don't think Bama runs into a real test before that game. I see. Hmm. So yeah, I, don't, I don't see them beating Alabama. So let's say they did. Let's say they somehow did. And then they're both in the playoff, in your view. Yeah. And then they meet in the playoff. What happens? Rematch. Bama wins. Bama wins. Okay. Bama wins the same way Clemson will beat Notre Dame in the ACC championship game. Well, yeah, that'll be a little different, though. I mean, you're talking about a major – I mean, the best player not playing that game. Now, look, they still scored – what, 40 whatever points, albeit in overtime. So they, they put up they put up good offensive numbers to be able to compete, even if they do have their top offensive weapon on the other side. But yeah, I mean you can't that that was frustrating for me because I, I wanted I, I I naturally root for Notre Dame, but as a fan of the sport, you you hate to see a number one team go down in a sport where it can really hurt you. Like the losses, I mean, you don't get that many to play with in college football compared to other sports, and they'll be fine. But you hate to see a number one team lose without not just their best player, but the best player. It's like, how much stock do you really put in that? And if you're a Notre Dame fan, you're happy about it. I mean, I'm not charging the field if I'm a fan, but like, it's not, it's not quite the same. It's not like, well, we beat number one Clemson. Right. Right? Come on. right. And don't look over this point either and I'm going to circle back here in a second when Notre Dame beat number one Florida State in South Bend in 1993 it was Charlie Ward the Seminoles were unbelievable Notre Dame beats them they go to Boston College the next week and what happens they lose to the Mm -hmm. Eagles 
Where's Boston? Where's Notre Dame this weekend? Boston College. So just I mean, Boston College is not a bad team. I mean, they they almost beat Clemson two weeks ago as well. Uh, my thought on the Notre Dame win, by the way, first of all, just how great was that game? That game great, was great so game. good. So good. No matter how it ended, it was a phenomenal, phenomenal football game. And the freshman quarterback for Clemson, DJ Uyangalole, that kid can play. He's a monster. Yeah, you know what bothered me about that game, though? There were, when at its most exciting, there seemed to be moment after moment of dragging things out, review after review. Like oh. when the game was supposed to be at its highest level of excitement, what happened? It was at its, almost at its most boring because of how things were playing out. That I had a big problem with, man, because I, I was into it as like, this is a really great game. But then I was like, I'm kind of being taken out of it, too, here. And that's not good. And I don't know how you feel about this. And and look, I grew up rooting for Notre Dame. But when a guy falls maybe six inches short of the goal line, but it's going to be first and goal, and you've called it a touchdown on the field, to then review it and, and bring it back out onto the field and make him run it in from the half-yard line, not enough already. He's You thought he was in. Look at it three times. If you still think he's in, let's move on. Because you know what? They're going to score anyway. Look at it once. Look at it once and get it right. That that was too obvious for me. That was one where it's like, what is taking so long here? Like, it's pretty clear. I say no, get the call right. Don't just say, well, it's close enough. But, yes, be much quicker about it. Come on. Yeah, I know. My thought on that is good win for Notre Dame, but one they had to win. And and I still don't think it eliminates all the chatter that like they can't win a big game if Lawrence were healthy, if they had if Clemson had some of their key defensive guys at 100%, we'd be thinking about it a little bit differently, but still I still say good win for Notre Dame because if they had they were in a no-win situation, right? Everybody's like, right. well, of course you won, no Trevor Lawrence. But if you lose, it's like, how do you lose to a team? You know, yeah. you had to yeah. win that game. Right. You can't fault them for who is not on the field on the other side of the field. So yes, they had to do what they had to do, go out and play the game with who was out there. That's what they did, and they got the win. So good for them. Just like I said, as a fan, you always want to see both teams at full strength, especially when it's that big a piece that's missing. Yeah. All right, we are lining up a couple of World Series champs uh, for the show this week. Mookie Wilson, your guy, 86 hero. Uh, Mike Pagliarulo, who Yankees fans will remember as a third baseman for them, but but he won a title with the Twins in an epic seven-game series against my Atlanta Braves. Uh, and Duncan Robinson, who bags on this show, go way back. I said one guy I want to talk to is Duncan Robinson. i got to find a way to get this guy on the show. He's going to do the show in the near future as well, we hope, uh, before the end of the week at some point to talk to one of the greatest shooters in the NBA. I don't know where you'd rank him, but he's one of the best. Yeah, I don't know where i rank him either. I'd have to really sit down and go guy by guy. But and we have a start date now, too, for the NBA. We are – we are, and this – look, I said this last night because I was sort of half-joking around that, you know, I really, I really hope there's a season. I think there's going to be a season. But the way COVID numbers are going, you, you have to be concerned, right? You have to think – boy, we're not in a bubble now. We're traveling everywhere. It doesn't take as much to shut it down as it would when you were in the bubble. But I said this, that this could be the best chance for my favorite team to win a title in my lifetime because of their roster. So I need this. And and they've been in the finals twice in my lifetime. So even that being said, this could still be the best chance because of who they have on the team. Um, 
it might be this year or next year, depending on how things shake out. But it feels like the window now is open and you got to go get it. Um, So I really need this season to happen. Durant is, is only on the books for one more year, correct? Yeah. Right. So there's got to be a player option in there though, right? That he can opt into a third year. Yeah. But look, and, and, and depending on how things go, he could be on this team for a very long time or not. Right. So that's what I mean. Like this is a huge year and it's a legitimate year. If, if they get in 72, I mean, that's, that's plenty. We're not going to look back and say, well, that was shortened. Like, like we sort of wonder now about this past baseball season. You don't, I know you don't. And, and I don't, I don't view the NBA season any different. The Lakers are the champion. They were probably the best team anyway. Um, I have no issue with however many games they played. Heck, I couldn't even tell you how many how many quote regular season games did they play? Did they play the full eighty two when they came back? But it was just shy, right? See, I, I, I honestly, I truly did not know that answer. Yeah. Um, I don't care that they didn't play in front of fans. They got it done, and and in my mind, whether they play seventy two or eighty two next year, bags or if everybody plays sixty, I don't care. Yeah. Now, if you're playing like thirty or forty, it's like uh... yeah. Yeah, 72. That's that's a legit season. And yes, please get this season in and let, give us our chance anyway. December 22nd. You knew they'd get it in before Christmas Day. Yeah. I know. And and the schedule hasn't dropped yet though, right? No, not yet. Right. So we'll see. I, obviously Brooklyn's going to have some big spot games. Maybe maybe they play on Christmas. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. All right, good stuff, man. Um, fun to catch up with Ian a little bit. We'll do it again before uh, pitchers and catchers for sure because uh, we know, obviously, as soon as he gets into that season, man, he's uh, he's on lockdown and, uh, and rightfully so. Did You you caught this picture. What was your thought on, on what MLB Network did with Ian and Dansby Swanson and Travis Darnot? Yeah, I, that's <laughs> – that's no good for Ian. He he gets clearly the short end of the stick here on this. Um, and honestly, look, I watched Arno a lot with the Mets. Yeah, uh, he he doesn't have muscles like AC Slater. So come on. No, although the way he hit against the Marlins, man, he was. Well, he, I know. Yeah, you don't have to remind me of that. He was typical lifting something. Met. Typical Met. Yeah. All right. Thanks for watching, everybody. Uh, Honorado and Bagnardi brought to you by Capcom, by Exit 9, by Dillagaff. And we're bringing King Brothers Dairy and Bold on as well. Uh, and a presenting sponsor. Where we're going to do more live on location shows. Hopefully you guys caught us at Bold in Scotia last week with uh, Brittany Burnham from Hit It With Brit. Do more, certainly more of that. Just in time for the winter, bags. Just in time for when it gets colder. If we're forced outside, mm, tough. Yeah, I know. The bus pull. We did the bus pull, pull in the freezing cold. And then it was 70 degrees the week after. I know. Yeah. I know. I almost didn't survive it. All right. Thanks for hanging out, everybody. We'll see you later on this week on Honorado.